You're listening to a teaching from Sundown Church. We hope you encounter God through our podcast and experience freedom in your life. First John chapter 4, I want to begin reading with verse 20. If a man say, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he that loves not his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? And this commandment have we from him, that he who loves God loves his brother also. There's a very simple message that I want to share tonight. Uh, Not particularly deep or profound, but once again, uh, very truthful and very life-changing. As we, as we talked about this morning, you know, the, the, the truth that religion, church, tries to teach about, about who churches are, the identities that they try to create, the uniqueness, and the fact that they feel it's proper to hang on to money for their use instead of it flowing to them and flowing from them, we can't find that in the Scripture. Because the, the message comes through dynamically clear. That which we receive in the Spirit, that, that which had to come, come to us for it to become relevantly true to us, applicable in us, that which we receive in the spirit will manifest itself in the soul. There will be a visual, tangible look to those things we receive in the spirit. So we need to be real mindful of this, real mindful of the fact that that what God gives us, truth revealed to us, and all the unique ways that God reveals spiritual things to us, how he delivers spiritual blessing to us, will by the very nature of what they are, create a manifestation in the soul. And I'm not going to say that this isn't every time, but I'm going to tell you it, is, it may be or it's very, very close. For God to reveal to us the dynamic of how he loves us, that the love by which he loves us, this agape love that we can't create, this agape love that we can't create in ourselves because it's a love that comes from God to us. Now that revealed will by its very nature of being a spiritual reality to me, leave me in the form of a soulish and recognized love. That received in the Spirit will create a soulish manifestation. So what does a soulish manifestation look like? It looks like that I will say something to you, I will say something to Lorinda, that I will say to her, Lorinda, I love you. From a love that originated to me in the spirit, 
that love that I express to you will hit you in your soul. It will create a thought and it will create a feeling. Received in the spirit, manifesting in the soul. So let me read this again. If a man say, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he that loves not his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? And this commandment have we from him, that he who loves God loves his brother also. That which we have received will manifest in ministry, in love, and in service, and in kindness, and in compassion, in comfort, tangibly to those around us. Again, why does this make any difference at all? What's the relevance? Well, as we begin to move forward and recognize that, that God has created, at least my picture of it, that God has created a right turn in, in ministry in this church, that where he's taking us is not really something new for us. It's like we're going we're gonna to turn right back onto a very, very familiar street. We're going to turn right back onto a very familiar street of service. We've been on that street a long time. We have ministered tangibly with our hands in this community and larger than this community a long time. We, many of you can share those testimonies of where we've been, houses that we've been on top of, houses we've painted, houses we've sheetrocked, houses where this has been done, people who have been taken care of, ramps that have been built, many, many tangible things of service in this community and beyond. We've been on that street a long time. But when God called us to be in the emergency room, there was a, a season of a, where that didn't stop, but it wasn't the focus anymore. If anybody had a need, it was still met. If there was a situation, people still took care of it. But there has been a very clear 12-year pause on, the, on us traveling that road. When God began to give the visions of this change in leadership in this church, one of the things that I could see clearly was that we were turning back on to that very familiar road. That this community, this area, we, it wasn't going to be ours to evangelize. This area was going to be ours to touch in ministry, in many, many ways, unusual ways, distinct ways of tangible ministry. And I love it. But there's a warning in it, a unique warning in it. Because we could see ourselves turning back onto that road of service. And we could muster from just sheer energy and determination a willingness to go down that road. But the reality has to be this, and this has to be the warning. God will not ask us to step on that road of service without giving us something in the spirit from which that ministry to come. 
We won't be giving them of ourselves or we'll wear ourselves out. We will be ministering from those things received in the Spirit, whether that be finances or hard work or time that we can dedicate to something or money that we give, whatever it happens to be, it's going to originate spiritually so that it can manifest in the community soulishly, tangibly, something that people can see, think about, feel, and know that they're loved. But it has to originate in the Spirit. The things in the Spirit, by their very nature, will manifest in the soul. Go with me, if you would, uh, to just a backup page to 1 John chapter 3, verse 17. It says, But whoso has this world's good, and sees his brother have need, and shuts up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwells the love of God in him? Once again, that which we received of God will manifest in the way we regard each other, the way that we care for one another, the way that we care for those who we know, those who we don't know. And again, the vision of this has grown beyond sundown. It has grown, it has grown beyond the boundaries of any church, in any denomination. It's grown to, to a place where, we, where we're recognizing, I hope we do, that we have been flooded spiritually. I don't have any doubt about it. I know that what's happened to me over the last 12 years has been because God has poured out in great abundance spiritual reality, spiritual truth, and spiritual provision. I don't have any doubt about it. I've watched it. I've seen it. I still watch the effect of it. I watch it individually. But God had said, I have poured out in abundance so that you would know how to release in abundance. I asked this question not too long ago, maybe even last week, because one of the ways, this, is the, this may catch you off guard, but one of the ways that this which we received should, should be manifest is that if you and I have received from God spiritually the baptism of the Holy Spirit, if we have received that, then every one of us then is equipped when someone comes to us and says, I've never received that, I've never had that experience, I don't even know what that's like, every one of us now has to recognize that in this new right-hand turn of service to those around us, we have to be able to release to them that same spiritual baptism. And I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands, but I, my suspicion is if, if asked, and there's a, in a, with, with honesty, how many of us are comfortable leading someone into that, bringing someone into that place where that, of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, most of us would still say that we're uncomfortable in it. What God is telling us, announcing to us in, in broad, with, with broad brush strokes, I brought you into that. I didn't bring it into you so that you could hold that as a lake. I brought you into that baptism of the Holy Spirit, that reality of me, so that you could freely release that same thing into the lives of others. That that is going to be a call of service 
because what we receive spiritually should manifest itself in the soul to others. You see, we have to begin to recognize what we've been given so that we can correctly recognize what God is asking us to release or we'll still sit and hold it. We'll remain pregnant. Wouldn't it have been sad for Mary to still be pregnant with Jesus? Why was she entrusted with something so sacred? Because, she, because God knew not only physically, but mentally and emotionally and spiritually, Mary would release Jesus into the purpose for which God had intended. That which she received of God, had, she had to release, she had to deliver. Well, God has made us pregnant with the, with the provisions of the Spirit. Why would he do it? Why would he make you pregnant? To deliver. That shouldn't be a surprise. That which we've received in the spirit will manifest itself in the soul. The natural is the proving ground for those things that we gained in the spirit. You get that? How do we know? that those things we received in the Spirit are true. How did Jesus know that when he, at his baptism, he received this adoption by his father? When his father said, this is my beloved son, so now publicly Jesus has been acknowledged as the son of God. He also said that the Holy Spirit descended on him as a dove. He gained access to the, to, the, to the greatness and the provision of heaven. Three things happened. Adopted, authority from the Holy Spirit, access into heaven. How did those things become real to him? The Holy Spirit led him into the wilderness where he faced real hunger, real thirst, real emotional anguish. Likely because of Mark's description, he even faced wild animals, likely fear. What was happening to him in his soul? His soul became the proving ground that that which he received in the spirit was workable and real. We can talk all day about what we've received in the spirit. We can talk all day about this forgiveness that we talk about that is so complete. We can talk every day about Romans chapter 6 and the death of sin. Where is it supposed, where's that spiritual truth supposed to manifest? Where's the proving ground of it? My soul, my mind, and my emotions now living under that which I have spiritually received. My soul is the proving ground that that which he spiritually gave me is workable functional, and real. Even Jesus, now at the wedding feast, having experienced the wilderness, seen what he has seen, faced what he faced, heard what he heard, stood up and, and recognized that these three things were real to him. Now he's at the wedding feast and his mother, when they realize that they're out of, they're out of wine, the mother says, well, go tell Jesus. And what was his answer? <clears throat> what do I have to do with this? You see, he still wasn't, 
perhaps fully aware of all that God wanted to do through him. Where did it get proven? In the tangible, in the real, where he could see what was happening. It was the proving ground to even to him. I still believe that we can play this down like it was almost a documentary, but I really believe when they came and tasted that wine and it was better than they'd ever had, I think maybe the person who was the most surprised in the room could have been Jesus. In his humanity, even with the, with the faith he had in God, for him to be able to say, what do I have to do with this? And for this to really work and for him to be able to say, well, go fill these pots with water and they bring it back and it's wine. I don't know how even Jesus could not have been a little bit overwhelmed by that moment. You see, you and I have got to come to a reality for God to, to take us on this right turn. Into, into the direction that he wants to take this body and all that he wants to do. This core of people absolutely has to know that our soul becomes the evidence, the proving ground of that which we have spiritually received. Because the world will be watching. If there's a disconnect between the story my soul is telling and the words that, are, that I'm telling that I've received in the Spirit, if there's a disconnect, guess what the world will do like they've done forever? They will not believe this message. They will not see the heart of God. They will not hear His truth because there's a disconnect between what I'm saying I'm receiving from the Spirit and the life I'm living in the soul of love that is on, that is on display. There will be a disconnect and they will call it counterfeit, which is what they have done for so long. What we have to recognize that it is in my soul that I reproduce that which was kingdom given. It's in my soul that I reproduce that which was kingdom given. I become a kingdom parent. Recreating in others that which I have received in this kingdom truth, how do I share it with somebody? Again, it's because it's a familiar story. To sit in that pickup that first Saturday morning with Federico. He would not have heard a word I said if he didn't somewhere believe or at least wonder, why is this guy here? If he had not known early in the conversation that I loved him. I didn't have an agenda. I didn't have something I wanted from him. He wasn't a number. He wasn't going to be a mark on the wall for me. That there was genuine love for him. That it's very difficult for the kingdom to reproduce another child in the kingdom. We, we, we want, we would love to be able to say, well, I'm reproducing kingdom children 
in the Spirit. We're reproducing kingdom children in the soul. They know they're loved. They feel something. They don't even know where it's originating. They don't know it's originating in the Spirit. All they're doing is they're feeling it in their soul. They're hearing it there. It's capturing them there. Then I get to tell them about a spiritual reality, but I create, as a, I create kingdom children in the soul originating in the Spirit. Spirit to me, soul to someone else, take them into the Spirit. Make sense? Yes. It won't work otherwise. We've tried it a long time. We've tried to deliver something to, to a world that doesn't want it. Why don't they want what we're saying? It's because they don't, they don't recognize the connection between that which we're announcing and the life that we're living in relationship with them. So they, all they see is something that is marginally counterfeit. It, the story doesn't match. Let's go, to, let's go to Malachi chapter 2 for just a second. Malachi chapter 2, verse 14 and 15. It says, Yet you say, Wherefore? Because the Lord has been witness between thee and the wife of thy youth, against, thou, against whom thou hast dealt treacherously, yet is she thy companion and the wife of the covenant? And did not he make one? Yet had he the residue of the Spirit, and wherefore one, that he might seek a godly seed. Therefore take heed to your spirit, and let none deal treacherously against the wife of his youth. He's saying that which you have captured in the spirit will, will by its very nature show up in those relationships that are closest to you and that's how those relationships those parents are made. He made them one and gave them a measure of his spirit. Why? Because in their unity the most likely possibility it creates the greatest possibility of God's offspring. He made them one and gave them a measure of his spirit. Why did he do it? Because that's the way that we create offspring in the kingdom. The context for sexual reproduction is passion. We don't have to debate that. I don't want to debate that. Uh, but I, I think we can recognize that that which is the background from which physical reproduction occurs, sexual reproduction occurs, is passion. That which creates spiritual offspring, the background is not passion. The background is unity. We will create spiritual offspring within a kingdom because unity lives 
in the story. Passion motivates us physically. Unity motivates us spiritually. I care about you. I love you. You matter to me more than I matter to me. It's that unity that the Spirit creates that lets that which I receive in the Spirit show up in, to you through the soul, how it manifests there. You get to watch me live in peace. You get to watch me live in strength. You get to watch me live in unity with those around me, even those who I dis, with whom I disagree. I still live in unity. You put, the, you put unity in that background. We, we now have an environment conducive to the production of, of spiritual offspring. You take unity away and there's fragmentation. You take the, the opportunity for the, for the offspring to be born. Making sense? It's deeper. It's a strange direction. But where God's taking us, we have to know this. We have to begin to set our course. We've talked so long about deliverance, so long about identity, so long about this one-on-one -on -one ministry and what God's doing in it. And that, that, that day is not over. That conversation is going to be ongoing in this body for years and years to come. He's not through with that. But he is saying, I have brought so many people to places of freedom. I have delivered such spiritual realities into so many lives, it's now time. There's no, there's no, we're not going to hoard that which I've given you spiritually. It's time to release it in service on this very, very familiar road that we've been on. He's going to keep doing what he's doing, but he's brought so many to places of preparation. <clears throat> in the New Testament, we're, we're, we see this same thing as Paul writes to Timothy. So if, you, if you'd go there with me, uh, the second Timothy chapter two will end, will end there. Second Timothy chapter two, verse one and two. We're going to hear Paul who has received so much now giving instruction to this young friend and notice what he says. Verse, chapter 2, verse 1, Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men, who shall be able to teach others also. What's Paul describing to Timothy? He's describing a river. You, are, you have seen and heard from so many witnesses what was given to me. It's, it, if you have heard it, if you've seen it now, it has been given to you. I want you to take that which you've seen and heard, and I want you to teach it to other men so that they can do what? They can teach it to other men. You see, I, I want you to see the river that I'm creating, that that which you have received in the Spirit has to manifest in something tangible to others so that they will then believe and trust your spiritual message that you're about to release. 
Why did Jesus tell this woman to go and sin no more? Because she had to experience firsthand the love of someone before he could give her that kind of instruction. He had to show her something tangible, something life-changing. She didn't know anything about God. She might not have even known with whom she spoke. But when he didn't condemn her like she expected, when she didn't feel the, the pressure, the fear, the, anything that she had ever felt at anybody else's criticism, when she was with Jesus, she felt something in her soul. I don't know what it was, but I can't imagine that story where she wasn't feeling something tangible within her, something that she, thoughts that she was having, feelings that she was having, maybe for the first time as she was being dealt with by somebody that was totally different. So that, so that eventually this woman could receive something spiritually because she first felt something tangibly given to her by Jesus. We're turning a corner into tangible, a tangible release of that which we have been so dynamically spiritually given so that we can increase the, the teaching of the spiritual message that will follow the soulish blessing. If you blink tonight, you got behind. I hope, I, I hope this resonates. Again, it's, it's, a, it's a strange path, a strange message, but a dynamic one when we understand. And I hope what begins to happen is what's happening in me is I am looking forward with even greater joy at that right-hand right turn. I'm looking forward to stepping back onto a very familiar road. Yeah. That's what, for those of you who don't know what has been recommended, uh, I presented to the board uh, a hope and a plan that they would create what is legally called an integrated auxiliary by which another ministry can function outside of the ministry of this church, but still under the authority and leadership of this church. An integrated auxiliary functions separately, but answers to the same board of directors. Why do that? So that that ministry will always fit the ministry of the church. What that integrated auxiliary would allow to happen, would it, it would allow me to continue in this one-on-one -on -one ministry that I have been doing for a long time because the Lord won't release me from it. Though he's released me from this pulpit, he, he has not released me from this one-on-one -on -one ministry. So to keep doing that, there's a very simple way, legal way, a correct way for us to do that so that the church can, can take a completely new direction and the old direction stay. That makes sense? I'll, ask, I'll answer questions about that if anybody has them. We've done this before, uh, but, you know, 
it would be my responsibility in meeting with the board on the occasion that I need to, to present them anything, any issues, any concerns. It, allow, it would allow me to still function under the fact that this church is incorporated, which means that if anybody were to be upset by something they've been told, if they wanted to come after me, they could come after me, but they could only get the assets of, of the church, not any individual. They can't come after individual board members, couldn't come after the pastor's individual property. The incorporation protects the individual and only makes the assets of the church exposed to any type of liability. So it, it allows both ministries to, to function. It, still, it would allow that ministry the integrated auxiliary to still function under, under the 501c3 status. So it just provides a lot of things that otherwise you'd have to go out and do on your own. But uh, so yeah, there's, there's the intention of us still doing exactly what we've been doing, of meeting those kind of needs with that kind of urgency. But he is now allowing all of us who've been poured into so heavily to deliver it in service to others. So it's not a stop. It, that's one of the beauties of this transition. That we've, you know, we've always seen the, the pastor leaves and there's this time period where everything kind of gets put on hold. We do the basic things and then the pastor comes and he's supposed to bring the fire to start something new and hope it works. What this actually does is allow God to transition us to maintain that which he wants to maintain and take us in a new direction all at the same time. I think that's remarkable that God would be so kind and would prepare us for something so remarkable. It may happen routinely that this kind of transition in churches. It may happen somewhere. I don't know it. But this is, this is more fun to think about, more exciting to comprehend than any pastor search committee that I've ever been on. I've led a few, been on a few. And th this transition is a whole lot more exciting than start getting 50 or 60 resumes. How many did y'all get last time? Yeah. Yeah. So you begin that process of looking, sorting, and you realize some, some send pictures because they kind of like the way they look. Most don't send pictures because they don't want you be judged. They don't want to be judged by how they look. So you, you realize that the scoring process for searching for pastors is an odd process. And you hope at the end of the day you've got one that is the one that you're supposed to have. So this is, there's a lot of excitement about this, this new direction. But God is forming this heart in us. This, this anticipation and excitement, I've been given much. It's time to give much. Thanks for listening to this message. For more resources, visit sundownchurch.com.